Hello and welcome to Fast Charge, the weekly smartphone podcast from the team at Tacovaza. I am your host Dom, joined this week by Henry and Aniron. How are you doing, guys? We are okay, I think. How are you, Aniron? <laughs> yeah, just very busy. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a busy week. Uh, I should apologize again to our normal YouTube live audience. We are once again pre-recording the show. I feel really bad because I think this is like the third week running, and I promise we do still treat this as a live show. We will be back to doing live as soon as we can. Scheduling has just been difficult. Whoever said the summer was a quiet period for tech, uh, they, they need to update their references. That has not been true for a long time. Uh, so we have plenty to talk about. Um, we are first going to start talking about the Asus Zenfone 9, which I've been reviewing. I actually have two of them here for reasons that will become clear. Uh, I've had about a week and a half with the Zenfone 9, so I'm really keen to uh, give it a full review and let you guys know what I think of the latest compact flagship from Asus. Uh, then we are going to turn to the Nubia Red Magic 7S Pro, which Aniron has been testing out. Uh, that just got given a global release uh, without the regular Red Magic 7S, which I think is in China only. Um, but Aniron has also been testing that one out. He's going to give us his, his thoughts. And I, I think, not to spoil anything too much, but not so much explain as why you shouldn't buy the 7S Pro, but more explain why the 7S Pro probably shouldn't exist in the first place. Then, finally, we are going to turn to Huawei. Uh, they held launch events today, one in China, one globally, just to keep us on our toes. Uh, the global launch <laughs> included a new MatePad Pro, which I think is the main thing we're going to talk about. But we'll also touch on the new laptop they announced, and I think there were a couple other little bits. Uh, whereas in China, they officially unveiled Harmony OS 3. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we have managed to glean about Harmony OS 3 and also explain why they didn't actually mention it at the global launch event and how all that comes together. Before that, there are the usual little bits of pieces of news to get through. So first up, we have our first official Galaxy Unpacked announcement. Samsung confirmed that on August 10th at Galaxy Unpacked, it will also launch a new color for the Galaxy S22 called Bora Purple. Uh, confusingly, it also explains that Bora is the Korean for purple, meaning this phone is the S22 Purple Purple. Purple Purple. Which, I mean, as a lover <laughs> of purple phones, I'm really into this. And, you know, why not? Yeah, Purple Squared. Like, let's just purple it up as much as possible. Uh, it's actually a really nice finish, I think. They have put a couple photos out. Um, it's nice. Isn't there already a purple one? I guess they... I, I got to be honest, I kind of thought with that the too. the gold camera. They did the purple yeah. with the gold, but maybe they did that for the S21 and not the 22. Um, I think they did a 22, they but they just didn't use it in the marketing. Right. So well, that's why this one is purple purple, because yeah. both bits are purple rather than purple and gold. <laughs> so, the, so, so basically <laughs> it's for people who put a case on their phone and still want a bit of purple. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one oddity, this will, I guess, become a bit clearer on August 10th when it actually goes on sale, but they only talk about it being available for the S22. So I, I think this is actually just the smaller S22 and not even the Plus model because there's been no mention in right. Samsung's marketing and press release of the Plus, let alone the Ultra. Is this, is this the one where they also said something vaguely cryptic like and other Galaxy products later in the year? So we're going to be yes. the whole Bora lineup. So it looks like Bora Purple will be rolling out to more stuff. <laughs> I don't know if that's a hint. Bora Purple, mm -hmm. am I right? Uh, okay. I don't know if that's a hint that we should expect Bora I'm Purple just up. in the foldables. Just warming up, boys. This is going to get worse. Okay. What else have we found out this week? The OnePlus 10T, we know we have that coming next week on August 3rd. Yep. Uh, classic OnePlus, they've told us a little bit about it already. We already knew it was going to have an 8 Plus Gen 1 chip. Uh, they've now released official photos, so if you want to know what the phone looks like, 
we do. There's all the images. It's in two colors. They are moonstone black and ooh, something green. It's gone out jade. my jade green. Thank you. Um, looks a lot like the 10 Pro, though the camera module's been tweaked a little bit and it kind of slopes into the body a bit more. Um, the big controversial thing is there's no alert slider. And OnePlus has basically addressed that. They've discussed why they did it. Fundamentally, they say it's a matter of space. They say that while the alert slider looks very small from the outside, it actually takes up a good chunk of motherboard space. And so it kind of affected decisions they made about charging speeds and cooling and other components. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's true. It could be a load of nonsense because someone at Oppo doesn't like the alert slider and just told them to stop doing it. Uh, we'll <laughs> never really know for sure. But yeah, there they go. We also found out a couple camera specs. Um, nothing too exciting. The IMX776 is the main sensor, which is also the one they use on some of the Nord phones. So that kind of tells you where this is camera-wise and how they're positioning this. They've talked about this being a performance phone. Uh, it is clearly that as opposed to a camera phone because um, notably there's also no Hasselblad branding this time around mm. so yeah we'll, we'll kind of see how that shakes out uh, one other little tidbit on this just so that you're aware if you see any mention of the OnePlus Ace Pro that is from what we can tell the same phone we had this early in the year where there was a OnePlus 10 I think it was the 10R which turned out to be the Ace in China now the 10T is the Ace Pro in China it's launching on the same day I don't know why either. Um, <laughs> what else is coming? Also next week, I don't think we knew this last week when we chatted, but Motorola is bringing the Razer 2020, 2022 even, the, uh, their new foldable, uh, along with the X30 Pro. They're both launching in China on August 2nd, the day before OnePlus. Um, the Edge will be the one with the 200 megapixel camera. The Razer will be an updated Razer. We know it's going to get slightly bigger external display. I don't think we know a whole lot else about what to expect. I hope it's good. I hope they maybe have addressed either the way they do the folding screen because it was kind of one that was, remember, it was like, uh, as opposed to how Samsung and others do it, it literally separated from the body. Mm. So there was like a gap when it was closing and it looked uh, trash. So hopefully they can change it because I love a razor, but yeah. maybe not maybe not the other ones. They've had enough time to work on it and also enough time to see what Samsung is getting right in the flip and hopefully kind of learn yeah. from the way Samsung has approached it and obviously had a lot of success, not just with press, but in the market, they've sold a lot. So I, I'm yeah. sure Motorola have been keenly watching that. A um, couple of odd bits to, to finish things up. One, there's been some reports that the Pixel 6a is having its own set of fingerprint sensor problems. Uh, it's no. not slow this time. But cannot confirm. It doesn't seem to care what <laughs> fingerprint you use to unlock the phone. Uh, mm. So quite a few people have basically found. Should I, should I try it? Yeah. Right. I'll try it. Oh, I don't remember registering that finger. Yeah, there we go. This is. A... Oh wow, this is an on-air marvel. Okay, well my left index finger just opened it, and I can't remember. I have to check. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, basically, <laughs> Sorry. it going. seems to be that at least in some cases it will open with a fingerprint that hasn't actually been registered. Some people have managed to do that by, as Andy maybe has just done, uh, unlocking it with a finger <laughs> of their own that they didn't register. Other people have basically found that their family members can open the phone and things like that using the fingerprint sensor when they shouldn't be able to. Um, bit of a problem if that's your main biometric security setting. Uh, I'm sure Google will be working on a fix. And finally, not phone related, um, but weird enough, I thought it was worthy of a mention. The Meta Quest 2, aka the Oculus Quest 2, has just had a $100 slash pound slash euro price hike. Uh, this is despite being, I think, about two years old now. 
So it's not a new headset. They haven't had, you wouldn't expect some radical change in their manufacturing costs. Um, but yeah, they bumped the price up considerably. It's gone from 300 to 400. So a third of the price increase. Um, they have blamed it basically on, on cost increase on their end, obviously inflation, that kind of thing. But still, I mean, it's one thing to see little incremental bumps in price. I'm kind of blown away. They did a full hundred bucks added on. Yeah, I was, I was, this is interesting, this one. I suppose it was also the same week that we saw quite big uh, price rises across the board in Europe for Amazon Prime. Yes, good point. And it kind of highlights how it makes mm. a lot of sense. Well, not a lot of sense, but you know, people tend to maybe uh, sooner accept price rises for software or for services. And I know that that's a lower one-off cost per year at least mm -hmm. so maybe it shows that um how unusual it is for quest but then also kind of shows that you would think that they weren't readying like a a new one anytime soon because that's a considerable price it's rise. an odd one because i i'll admit it's a shame we don't have lewis here because he's always the one who's up to date on the vr stuff much more than me but they are working on some pro stuff there's something called project cambrio we kind of know they have a pro level headset coming soon ish so not a replacement for the mm. quest 2 but a, a higher level model but you'd think they wouldn't want to then bump the Quest 2 up too much to bring it too close to the pricing of, of what they're going to have with their, their Pro model. But and I mean, I'm no, I'm no economist, but do companies raise the price because they're not selling enough? Because <laughs> the one thing that would stop people buying an old product is if the price goes up. Yeah. I suppose if it's production cost, as they say, then you can't avoid it. I suppose and if they're losing money on they it. They are still selling a lot of them. They, um, mm. It's not in that sort of PS5 impossible to buy space. But I do know the Quest 2 kind of drops mm. in and out of stock at a lot of UK retailers a lot of the time. It's a sort of product that never really gets put on offer because there's no need for them to put it on offer. They're selling a lot of them. Right. Um, it's also one of uh, Tech Advisor's rare five-star reviews as well. Yeah. So it's a good product. It's a great product. I, I mean, it's always that question of whether, you know, when you look at reviews down the line, would it still be a five-star product at $100 more than the asking price, though? And I, that's not mm. my, my question to answer because again it's shem lewis isn't here it's him that reviewed it but you have to think of that bigger change in price would maybe mm. change a lot of the appeal of the quest 2 was it was an amazing value proposition and i don't know how true that is anymore but um is it coming in is it coming in straight away i think there a there's a brief delay i certainly i was looking around the, the price it was announced last night and when i was looking today i st still saw a few retailers mm. with the original price so I think yeah. if you are keen on getting one, act fast uh, and yeah, try and jump on that now and, and look around now and you may still be able to find one at that price. I'm not sure exactly when, when the hike officially kicks in or if it has already. But yeah, certainly at, when I look today, you can still get it at the lower price. So do that if you're on the fence about it, I guess. And it's uh, probably just a good warning as we look ahead at phone releases and all of that that you know, price hikes are probably coming and I, I doubt we'll see existing phones with their prices go up, but I think we'll see more and more, you know, the next generation of phones always having a higher price than last year's models because yeah. I think that's just the way, the way the industry is going to be going now. Right, let's turn to our first proper topic of today, the Asus Zenfone 9. Uh, this was announced today as this episode is going out. Um, I've had my hands <laughs> on a Zenfone 9 for about a week and a half, so I've been using it. I really, really like this phone a lot more than I thought I would. Um, so the first obvious thing to say is, like last year's Zenfone 8, this is a compact flagship 
It's small. It's actually a little bit smaller than last year's Zenfone 8 was. They managed to shrink it down a little bit further. Um, is that in terms of the body or the screen or both? The screen is the same size. It's a 5.9-inch panel, but they've managed to just make the overall body a little bit more compact while keeping it at pretty much exactly the, light, the same weight. Um, so they've, they've shrunk it down very slightly. It's not radically smaller mm. than the 8. It's one of those, you know, it's technically 2% smaller or something like that. Still, I mean, but, the design looks nicer than the 8. Yeah, it from, looks a lot nicer than the I 8. Sit. It has a very distinct and kind of unique design aesthetic, I think I, I can show. Yeah, we got. It's a, bit, it's a bit Huawei P50 Pro-esque. It's a little bit. It's also got this kind of, partly because of the material, which is this plastic rather than glass. And I'm going to get to that oh, yeah, later because yeah. I've got some more stuff to say on the material. Oh. But um, it makes it feel, I don't want this to sound like an insult, and I worry it might, but almost toy-like. Not in the sense that it feels cheap or like plastic, or like it's going to break, but it feels like the way good Nintendo tech feels, which is to say it doesn't mm -hmm. feel overtly techy. It's not a slab of glass. It doesn't feel like it's trying to look like a super high-tech fancy device. It just feels kind of natural, like it will just fit into your life a bit more seamlessly. It's a bit wishy-washy, maybe. But yeah, I, I, I really I know like what you the mean. So, like, because they they refer to it using the word paper, don't they? But it's not the same kind of straight up plastic as that real me. No, so. they don't actually call it paper. That was me. My my kind of impression of the material oh. is it it feels it's got a little bit of a texture to it. They just describe it as being grippy, uh, which it is. Mm -hmm. um, they also say it's anti fingerprint, which it kind of is, though not perfectly. But I don't think any of them are. But it has this grippy texture, which to me it feels a bit like. Um, like cardstock, not cardboard, but like, you know, good kind of printing card or something. Yeah. Um, cool. mm. So it's an odd one that it's not explicitly trying to be paper and it is plastic. There's nothing papery about it. They're not particularly hyping the sort of recycled element of it either. They were just like, yeah, this is really good material. It's more scratch resistant than other plastics, apparently, um, and kind of sits somewhere between plastic and glass in terms of the, the durability side of things. Um, mm -hmm. So you've got this design side where they've gone compact, they've gone kind of attractive, and it's got this kind of boldish look. And I should say it's got colors as well. So obviously I've got blue and white here, though the white is a bit of an off-white. Um, but there's also black and a pretty bright red, if those tempt you. Um, but the flip side of the phone is it's incredibly powerful. This is a proper flagship. They've put in not just an 8 series, but the 8 Plus Gen 1. So that's a chip we're basically seeing in gaming phones and in kind of ultra performance flagships like the new Xiaomi 12S line and stuff like that. It's a little unexpected, at least, to see it, see it here. And it means this is kind of a, a two-gen upgrade, in a sense, from, from what was in last year's Zenfone 8. Um, it comes with up to 16 gig of RAM as well. So there's this heavy element where they're pushing this as a performance device in the sense that you don't have to compromise on performance to get a phone this size, I guess is kind of the pitch. Um, it's very flagship in a lot of its specs while still being small. Um, I think actually probably a big part of the reason they went for the 8 Plus Gen 1 is the power efficiency it has because mm. that was certainly Qualcomm hype set up as one of the big advancements versus the 8 Gen 1. And that's a big thing they've talked about, with, Asus has talked about with the Zenfone 9. A, they've actually, despite making the phone smaller than the 8, they've managed to put a bigger battery in than the 8. So this is a 4,300 milliampere battery, which for a 5.9 inch phone is really impressive. Combine that with the 8 Plus Gen 1 and battery life is fantastic. This is a day and a half phone, which cool. for a small phone mm. is phenomenal. 
Like, I, I know right. if you're used to using sort of a 6.7, 6.8 inch giant phone, you might think of an eight and a half. They all do that. But a phone this size does not generally last that long. Yeah, Pixel 6a is uh, about the same size, roughly, I imagine, and uh, maybe a bit bigger. Uh, but definitely not a day and a half phone. It's like a comfortable one day. Yeah, but exactly. I've never strayed out of the house without charging it. So that's, really, that's great. Um, what uh, was I going to say? Yeah, sorry. Well, you're probably going to go on to <laughs> reel off all the specs there. But those big old cameras on the back, are they, are they any good? Yes, cameras are good. They are... It's not a camera phone, first and foremost, so they have put some work into it. So you just got two rear cameras. Um, you have a 12 megapixel ultra ride, which is fine. It's good. It's not incredible. Gets the job done. There's obviously that bit of a quality drop off from from the main to the ultra ride. The ultra ride mm -hmm. doesn't do great in low light and things like that. But for, for what it is, it's fine. The main is 50 meg. It's the same Sony IMX776 or 766, I can never remember, um, which is in the OnePlus 10T we now know, which is in the Nord 2T, which is in the Nothing Phone one. So it's this phone sensor, this camera sensor that we've seen in flagships, and we've also seen a lot of mid-rangers, and it's been, been very, very popular. The hook Asus has here is that in addition to the OIS that's already baked into that sensor, they've actually added in their own gimbal stabilization, which is a trick we've seen Vivo use and kind of similar to what Apple does on, on the pro iPhones. I don't think they call it gimbal stabilization, but it's some of the same, same kind of trickery going on. So there's six yeah. axis gimbal stabilization, which means it is stabilizing the whole camera unit, basically, rather than just one bit of the lens. Um, which means this does step up a level from other phones with the same sensor. Uh, a, in terms of stabilized video, and B, in terms of low-light photography, where that stabilization really helps with the, the long exposure. Cool. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And do you have a price on this phone as well, just so I could compare where uh, where it's coming from? If Because these are like pretty decent specs, but a phone that, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Zenfone 8 also managed to undercut in price as well as size yeah they've gone a little more expensive than they did for the Zenfone 8 so the Zenfone 8 i can't remember his exact starting price but it was what it was at the upper end of what we considered a mid-ranger this is definitely more mm. flagship pricing so in the us it will start from 699 uh, that's the same for the uk and then 799 in euros which okay well six six nine nine is pretty good yeah i i think the the, the yeah. place to see it and certainly the rivals asus talks about are the regular xiaomi 12 the regular galaxy s22 phones like that that base mm. model in mm. other other companies flagship series and those are actually the phones they talked about when they were talking about the size of this thing and they kind of you know so yeah. they'd led the market in doing a small phone last year on the android side but then suddenly both samsung and xiaomi shrunk their their core flagship models down a little bit. Certainly, Xiaomi made a big drop. Um, and that's why they felt the need to go a little further and, and shrink the Zenfone 9. But also, I guess it's kind of reassuring that there is interest in a phone around this size and, and even in that flagship space. But yeah, that, that's the kind of competition it has. What, what's the display like? Is it got a high refresh rate and is it is it good? Yeah, it's a really nice display. I mean, it's basically the standard display specs you'd kind of expect at this price, even though it's small. So it's 120 hertz AMOLED. It's a full HD plus refresh rate rather than QHD, mm. but obviously it's tiny, so that makes sense. Um, yeah. It's not LTPO, but again, at this price, you don't tend to see LTPO tech anyway. That really kicks into the kind of thousand pound, you know, ultra flagships. Mm. Um, it's pretty bright as well. They say it's got 1,100 nits peak brightness. Mm. Um, what I can say is I've been using it while the UK has been incredibly hot and sunny and bright. 
and I've never once felt like I was squinting at the screen, using it out in daylight cool. and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's something on the Pixel. I know it's a cheaper phone, but yeah. um, similarly size phone, and I'm always cranking that brightness up um, in, in the sun. And that's really interesting. I mean, also, like, just in terms of those competitors that they're gunning for, like, it's probably not the go-to consumer brand. Like, I know they've got the ROG phones that Naren knows all about, and I'm sure we'll talk about soon in comparison to the Red Magics. But how do you think Asus is going to, like, sell <laughs> any of these phones? And do you think it expects to? Because it seems like they're really gunning for it, as you say, with the specs here. So what's what's might hold them back? I don't want to be too negative, but you can see. No, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll have some the familiar challenges that they don't really have strong networking carrier partners. Uh, for the US in yeah. particular, although it's 5G, it doesn't have millimeter wave, which just means it won't work on every 5G network. It means the networks, basically, the carriers won't stock it in the US. And even if you buy it, um, you know, off Amazon or, or off the Asus store or something, depending on which carrier you're with, it may not work fully on 5G. Um, so that will hold them back there. Generally, it, that's going to be the challenge. They don't have the brand recognition. I think the fact that it's that little bit smaller than even those rivals like the S22 and the Xiaomi 12 will help because if you are looking for a small phone, that's what you want. It really does does fit that. And they've also worked on the software level to take that even further and really sort of emphasize the the, the one-handed use of it, despite the fact that it's mm -hmm. a small phone where you might think you then that's when you you know take it easy on the software side and think it's already one-handed just by virtue of its size. But so they've got nice touches like um, even though this is an AMOLED, they didn't use an in-display fingerprint sensor. Instead, they've gone for a button on the side. And the reason for that is Ooh. that they've got this feature where you Ooh. can, I can see if I can do it there. The angle is very swipe hard. Down. But swipe down on it to get the notification tray. Ah, swipe down again beautiful. when it wants mm -hmm. to work. Yeah, there we go. To get the next bit. That's, you know, that's, like, uh, that's like Pixel 2 all over again. Yeah. Love it. So I love that. I know that was on the back, but yeah. that was great. They've got another bit, I think... If you swipe down, I must be doing it wrong. Oh, there we go. Swipe down right at the bottom. You can bring down, bring in a one-handed mode. Oh yeah. And it's very hard to do not looking. But yeah, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> so, the same. That's the same as the Pixel actually. That one. Yeah. Quick access to one-handed mode. And similarly in the camera app, I think if you swipe down anywhere on the interface, it brings all the controls down for you. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. Again, again. Yeah. Nice. That's like a, that's cool yeah. to see that they're putting that over because that's a pixel thing yeah. as well. So good to see they're not just changing stuff for the sake of it, which I always kind of no. despise. <laughs> all, all of it um, feels thought through and sensible. And I didn't realize some of that was in a pixel. It shows I don't use pixels enough. But yeah, they they oh, good. They it makes sense and it's really welcome. I think if because especially when you think about the further, we talk about five point nine inch display as being a small compact phone. It's tiny, like. Compared how phones used to be, it's still enormous. And it's still, yeah. say, half an inch bigger display than the iPhone mini, which is a 5.4. Mm. So there's a, I'm sure some people out there who will be told, this is a great small phone. They'll pick it up and they'll still feel like, well, it's not that small. And the fact that it's got these other software tweaks to mm. make the most of that and, and try and lean into the, the, the one-handed stuff a little bit further. Um, certainly that side swiping down to get your notification down, I took me an hour to get used to it. I now use it all the time. And I can tell time, when I yeah. switch phones, I'm going to be swiping on my power button and getting annoyed that nothing's happening. That was one of the main things, gen genuinely. And I, as you were kind of alluded to, I kind of forgotten about it because like, I'm pretty sure that was on Pixels when they had the fingerprint sensor on the back. And I'm trying to remember now if LG used to have it, but all the kind of phones that had them on the back. I, I do think I now remember really it on a, on a so, fingerprint sensor, um, but it feels like years yeah, ago since um, since that's... It's really nice. It has a little bit of, fa a little bit of haptic feedback yeah. in there as well. Oh. 
glory days. I mean, that was only like four years ago. <laughs> um, for, the one thing I was going to ask you about software, though, um, do they have a decent software update promise? Uh, yeah, hang on. I do have that in my notes somewhere. So let me grab that. I believe what they said was two years, which is okay, but not great. Oh, even for security uh, as well? Yeah, no. So this is one of the weak spots, two major OS updates, and at least two years of security patches. <laughs> so, that means two. Yeah, <laughs> that's not yeah. really good enough, and that's definitely one of the drawbacks. And certainly, say when you make that direct comparison to Xiaomi, uh, sorry, not to Xiaomi, to Samsung with the S twenty two, you immediately say, well, that's double the software guarantee, more than double on the security side. Um, yeah. And if you're thinking of buying a phone for long term use, that's clearly going to have a, a major impact for you in, in what you're thinking about there. Cool. Well, I mean, no, it sounds like a good. Uh, a good. Are you, are you willing to share with our beloved viewers and listeners your curry story or not? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the things I was going to. Why you have two? Yeah. One of the things I was going to get to. So there's, there's two. There's two other than the software. There's two other drawbacks to the phone. Um, one is heating. I think it's just a consequence of the size. It can run a bit hot, even though it's got top specs performance. It does not match gaming phones in actual benchmark performance, from what I've seen. Um, right. And that's definitely down to the heating. In running my benchmarks, I find it would get quite hot. So that's one little drawback. It's still very fast, very fluid, normal use. But don't buy it thinking this is a top spec gaming phone, absolute powerhouse, because it's it's not quite that. And that's just a comp, you know, the result of the size. They've done their best. They say actually the, the thermals are two hundred and thirty percent bigger than before. But even so, I think, you know, cooling is difficult. Mm. The other thing is, yeah, there's plastic. So I have two phones. The first one I got sent was this white unit. And I used it for a few days. And after three or four days, I noticed faint yellow stains on the plastic. Uh, basically, in the spots where I was gripping it, I could see them kind of along the edges here. The spots on the back where my fingers would sit when I was holding it, that kind of thing, you could see it was coming from my hands. Um, I am not sure if this was coming from <laughs> sweat, because this was during the UK's heatwave, or turmeric, because I did cook a curry. But either way, <laughs> this phone picked up some yellow that stained yeah. the plastic. And I spoke to Asus about this. Uh, first, I asked if they had any advice on, on cleaning this off, if there's something they'd encountered. They just said, try a cotton bud with water, which did absolutely nothing. Um, then they came back and said that they discovered that there was a batch of white units that had been sent to reviewers that had not received the final coating in the manufacturing process. And that final protective layer on the plastic hadn't been included. And my phone was one of those. And that was probably why it was staining. As a result, they then sent me another one because it was the white ones they were sending out to reviewers that had this problem. They couldn't send me another white one to test. So they sent me a blue phone instead. Uh, that's the phone I've now been on for six days or so. And I mm -hmm. haven't had any problems uh, with, with the plastic. I admit I haven't gone back and cooked curry again. But I, <laughs> you know, it hasn't yet picked up any stainage. There's no sign of kind of marks from where my hand is or anything like that. So I, you know, was a bit sort of, I don't know whether I should take, take aces at the word or not. I am inclined to believe that that is the genuine explanation because this blue one doesn't seem to be having any issues. Yeah. All I guess I'd say is if, if you're considering this phone, I would think very carefully about buying the white one. So I'd still just be that bit nervous that this may be a general problem with the white units that's more wed widespread than, than I've been told. Hopefully not. Hopefully it really is just one bad batch, but that would make me nervous. And it's a subtle effect, the kind that I think 
at a glance, no one else would notice, but I was very aware of it. And I think you, you know, as an owner, you'll be very aware that your phone's got these slightly odd stains and that's not nice. You don't want that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny and niche thing. I just think it's funny if it was turmeric. I just wanted to make you tell the story. But yeah, also, if there is a phone that is out there that is um, kind of sold on its cool plastic back and then it stains uh, that easily, it's probably not great. Was, it, was there another thing that you said was a downside to the phone before we move on? Uh, just just the heating side, that that side, that you're not, you're oh, not getting the it. full performance from, oh, yeah. from the yeah. chip that you might be yeah, expecting yeah, yeah. because, because it doesn't quite have the space to cool it as, as thoroughly. So, I, you know, there's a very clear... The benchmarks, benchmarks aren't everything. The benchmarks results I got were in line with an 8 Gen 1 rather than in line with an 8 Plus Gen 1, basically. Cool. Mm. But yeah, uh, as we were talking about last week with nothing, it's good to see, uh, I know they're not exactly a new company, but they're still making quite, uh, well, yeah, phones that we are interested in because it's kind of the gaming end, small end. Yeah. Then they're kind of gunning for the more niche uh, markets, which we should be uh, grateful for. Absolutely. I, I really like it. I really like the balance of stuff they've gone for. Um you know, other little little touches I think people will appreciate. It's got an IP68 rating. It's got Gorilla Glass Victus on the front. Uh, it's got a headphone jack. So well, a, it sounds like a great phone. Yeah, it's got <laughs> a lot of the things that people complain that other phones don't have. It will tick a lot of boxes for people. Um, but as we know, though, and the numbers don't lie, people say they want small yeah. phones and they want headphone jacks and then they go and buy <laughs> iPhone Pro Max. Exactly. Like, so <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know, you know, how, how widespread this is really going to get adopted. And as we said, Asus is going to have all sorts of problems with, with carriers and stuff like that. But I like this phone a lot more than I thought I would, even after that problem cool. I had with the white the white unit. I'm in the, you know, in the midst of writing my written review. Um, but I'm, I'm really, really positive about this phone overall. And I think if you are looking for a small phone, this is definitely one of the ones to consider. I think you've got to make that decision about, I think the S22 would beat it slightly on camera and will definitely beat it on that software promise. So you've got to decide how much that matters to you. But I like the design of this a lot. I think the software has been really well designed for one-handed use. The fact that it has a headphone jack, I don't really use one anymore, but I know that will matter for a lot of people. Um, and the fact that it's plastic rather than glass means it's very durable, it's very sturdy. And I really like the look of it. And yeah, I, you know, I, I wish it didn't have these, this, this kind of one little question mark really around the plastic and around that staining, because otherwise I'd be wholeheartedly like, I love this phone. It's amazing. <laughs> it's all right. Just use the blue one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The blue one's great. Go the blue, blue one. <laughs> just uh, stay clear of the white. Cool. Just, yeah, just one quick point. I just wanted to mention, because obviously I've only been on like the ROG focused software. What is the general, because it's mm. NUI, isn't it? What is the general software experience. ZenUI like. is one of those OS versions that I'm kind of surprised they even bother to name it in the way that Sony doesn't name theirs. It, it's pretty stock to the extent that stock is a thing. It obviously has this stuff built in, these one-handed mode features and stuff like that. Um, they have their own custom like audio optimizing little section in the settings. It's, goes, it's called the audio wizard that goes a bit more in depth than normal Android audio settings. Uh, but a lot of what it does is will feel like very natural stock Android 12. There's a very small selection of Asus's own apps. You're mostly using the Google stuff. The UI is very natural stock Google stuff. Um, yeah, so from that perspective, it, it, I think people will like it. Cool. I don't think we mentioned about uh, on that on that uh, cheapest model on the, the RAM and the storage. And is that the model? No. So I have been testing the top spec which is 16 gigs right. of RAM and 256 gigs of storage. 
um, which is um, not actually that much more expensive than the other options in fairness. That's 899 euros uh, and 799 dollars. Um, I don't think we're actually getting that one in the UK. Oh, no, we are at 749 in the UK. So it's only a 50 quid premium to double your RAM and double mm, your storage. That's all right. Yeah. Um, so but the, yeah, the starting model is 8128, and then there's also an 8256 in the middle. Uh, and we're not getting that middle one. And is that expanded? Is that expanded? No, that's one of the other little downsides. But right. I think especially if you get the 256 model, it doesn't matter that much. But yeah, there's no, no micro yeah, SD support. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, a, a phone this size with 16 gig of RAM feels absolutely daft, but you know, <laughs> I guess they must have just had a lot of RAM around from making the ROG phones. <laughs> um, I guess that's a good reason as any to turn to talking about another gaming phone, the Red Magic 7S Pro, which also has the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 in it. Um, and so we'll kind of match match the Zen phone for performance, so actually beat it given its kind of larger size and, and cooling and stuff like that. Um, and Niren, I, I guess, to put it plainly, the problem is that's the only reason to buy this phone? Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the only upgrade of any real yep. significance. I mean, I've actually written down the other differences you're looking at. Now on the global version, you have an option for 18 gigabytes of RAM, whereas previously it was only in China. It can still, you know, before you could get 16, so it's barely going to be noticeable. Uh, the screen is now Gorilla Glass 5, so it's a little bit more durable, but I had no problems with durability before. Um, the shoulder triggers are 520 hertz versus 500 oh. hertz. Which is like, <laughs> that is like, grasping at shoulder Having the shoulders, <laughs> yeah, having the, having the shoulder triggers is yeah. good. Yeah, that, that's not, not noticeable in any real sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, updated software is the only other thing. And that's the problem because we've already seen, Nubia is usually really aggressive, like pumping out, you know, two generations of these phones every year. But now it's like just over three months since the Red Magic 7 Pro. And they haven't addressed some of the big concerns I had with that phone. Main, main one being that, that under display selfie camera that maybe it's ever so slightly better on the software side. There doesn't seem to be any hardware changes and it's still really lacking if you're if you actually care about selfies at all, which I suppose most people, many people who uh, want to do lots of gaming won't. But because um, you've got that and then you've got the lower refresh rate compared to the regular model, which hasn't, which, and I thought, and like 120 hertz is fairly normal on flagship phones. And if you've got this high-end gaming phone that's still kind of just got an average refresh rate, um, it feels not underpowered and not, not many games support it, but it feels like it's not the ultimate phone because as we spoke about the ROG phone 6 Pro and even the regular 6 just feels one step up from this. Um, to be fair, this is certainly cheaper than the ROG 6 Pro, maybe even cheaper than the regular 6. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you might know better. So this, the, starting pro yeah, the starting price is cheaper. So it's $729 or 669, yep. which is actually slightly cheaper uh, than the 7 Pro was, but then that um, the kind of $899 for the, uh, the high-end version is the same yeah. as before. Um, so it is slightly more affordable, but it's still, it's in this weird middle ground where it's not the mid-range, as, as I've said before about the regular Red Magic 7 that I would recommend, and probably the, 7, 7, the regular 7S, if it ever is released outside of China, is the one I would um, probably recommend, but then it's not 
the best gaming phone you can buy. It's this awkward middle ground where it doesn't, it does some things well, but some things, I think as we mentioned before, not as well as the regular model and it's just not a clear upgrade. Yeah, so I think there's some specific people that will appeal to you. I guess if you really care about getting full screen gaming and you know, there's having that under display selfie camera not taking up space, and the flip side of that being you don't you don't use the selfie camera. You've got to also be someone happy to not take mm -hmm. selfies, to not take yeah. many video calls, that kind of thing. If that was you, then great. I could see this this appealing, and and maybe you're willing to make that trade off with the refresh rate, especially since not many games even go past 120. Anyway, the challenge mm -hmm. I I see with this phone, and, and in a way, this is a wider challenge with these these. We see a lot of these mid-cycle gaming phone refreshes is if the only thing you fundamentally change is the chip where you're getting this minor half-step upgrade from an 8 Gen 1 to an 8 Plus Gen 1, which is a bit more powerful. It's sort of a 10% jump, maybe, and it's a bit more battery efficient. That's cool. But let's say you're going to buy one of these now or next week when it's properly on sale. You've got the choice of buying this new one with the 8 Plus Gen 1, or you can buy the 7 Pro with the 8 Gen 1, and probably next week that will be 100 bucks cheaper. Than the 7s if you give it a couple months it'll be two or three hundred bucks cheaper maybe and so at that point you're sort of well it's definitely not worth several hundred dollars to get this upgrade to the plus right mm -hmm. so ironically what you're saying is that nubia needs to slow down its refresh rate mm -hmm. <laughs> get out. did i win oh. the pod <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I, that, that is a really fair point, Don, because one of the big concerns is because Nubi doesn't make any specific uh, commitment in terms of software updates, but all we can go on is like the parent company ZTE, which only commits to like one major version of Android, and there's no real commitment in terms of security mm. updates. But both these phones run Android 12 out of the box, so you're going to get Android 13 no matter which phone you get, and then probably not after that. So there's no, from the software point of view, there's no downside, and obviously you'll get the You'll get the update to the latest version of the Red Magic OS. There's no downside to going for an older phone mm, right yeah. now, unless you value. I will say, I will say, beyond the slight performance gains, there is quite a quite a noticeable improvement in the battery life. The battery life, battery life was already good. I did notice there was a noticeable increase uh, improvement um, this time around, just by having the same capacity. Um, so, if you, unless you really are going to be like away from a charger all day, wanting to game for multiple hours a day, there's really no reason to buy this phone. So it kind of makes me ask the question. I don't know whether you know the answer or whether we just can, um, yeah, guess. <laughs> but because they pump out so many of them, right, and it's not just Nubia, that it's quite, as you were saying, it's quite, quite normal uh, for these other companies mm. as well. Is that because people who buy gaming phones regularly update their phones? So the they've made a business decision that they don't need to support them uh, for ages because uh, people aren't are just going to keep refreshing them. Or is it kind of the other side of that coin, which is if people are going to buy a gaming phone, they want the, the best possible specs at that time. And therefore, mm. they have to keep releasing them with new chips and more RAM because if they're trying to compete with, you know, other 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 uh, companies and, um, you know, high-end mm. high gamers are going to look down on those phones, if that makes sense. Like, is it because people upgrade a lot or is it because the companies need to upgrade a lot? Oh. It's, it's really hard to say. I would I would say that if they the phones weren't being pumped out, then people would naturally slow yeah. down. They wouldn't think, I need the absolute latest and greatest hardware 
as soon as it comes out. Because I think that part of this is the 8 plus Gen 1 comes out and then Nubia thinks, right, we've got to be there, we've got to yeah. be early. It doesn't matter we have a phone yeah. came out three, four months ago. We it's, need it's, another one. it's an arms race, isn't it? Right and, and that's the problem. Is I, I think it probably yeah. is that latter thing that gamers want want the latest spec. And, you know, I mean, that's what you see in the graphics card side of things as well. There's always a massive rush for the latest one, even if it's only a 5% performance jump on the one from a year ago. Um, the, the, but, yeah, from Nubia's perspective, let's say they decide, you know what, this is getting silly, we won't do an 8 plus Gen 1 phone. Well, guess what? Asus just put out the ROG Phone 6. That's got the 8 plus Gen 1. Xiaomi, the next Xiaomi Black Shark will have an 8 plus Gen 1. And so then whenever you're that, that person looking like Googling best gaming phone, which one do I buy? You find all these pieces saying, well, the Red Magic's good, but, you know, it's got a less powerful chip than the other two. So go for one of them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. It's just kind of jarring, isn't it? Like I know price aside, because uh, I know... Um... Uh, graphics cards are ridiculously expensive uh but it kind of makes more sense when it's modular like that right people yeah. are buying that and putting it in a pc whereas i don't know it's just a bit more jarring to me and i know it's the same for people who you know get a new iphone every year or whatever but when you're actually buying a, everything again i bet there's some tiny pocket I th- I of pop- super committed gaming phone players maybe like at the pro level who are genuinely doing an every six month refresh to get on the next mm. one <laughs> i can't imagine there's a lot of them but there are some people out there doing that for sure and I know going slightly off piste, sorry, but are there any modular gaming phones that you can upgrade yourself? Not in terms of the the components. They're, they're yeah. right. What they have a lot of is accessories, and so you can kind of tweak it a bit in terms of slapping on coolers and things like that that boost performance yeah, in a yeah. sense, and controllers and and all of that. Um, no, I mean no one's no one's as far as I'm aware done a, a modular phone in terms of actually being able to swap the chip out. I think it's also baked in the. You know, I think the problem is the bit you'd want to upgrade is is yeah stuff that's just right at the heart of the circuitry, which is the RAM and the the, the GPU. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the Motorola um, phones where you could swap out cameras and bits like that, which are kind of Ugh. on the edges. You know, Moto Moto mods, mm-hmm. yeah. Those. But yeah, yeah, you can't really mod the bits that gamers would like no. to mod, I guess. The innards, yeah. And also, Naren, I know you've probably said this on a recent episode, actually, because you've been uh, <laughs> deep in the gaming phone scene uh, of late. But you, you referred as well. You said it wasn't the best gaming phone you can buy. Like, what, what do you think is the one that people should go for? What's the best all-round? Well, best well, the all-rounder, diff- yeah, I think, yeah, I think the best all-rounder is the ROG 6 Pro. Okay. But, the, but because that starts at like $1,100 or $1,200, that's a, pro- that's a point at which only diehard gamers are going to be paying that sort of money. And uh, that's why I was really disappointed that the regular 7S hasn't been released globally yet right. anyway, because that is the sweet spot for most people, in uh. my opinion. That if you want more than a regular phone, but you don't want to pay these sky-high prices for a phone that is still big and bulky, and or you maybe want it as a second phone or things yep. like that. Um, so I would still recommend for people outside of China that the regular red magic 7 is probably you just gotta always live with that nagging feeling that you don't have the latest chip though do you there's no plus (laughs) on your one is it is it really good enough yeah that's the issue from testing them i can say the answer (laughs) there you go it's plenty good enough (laughs) expert comment there you go if anyone knows you do yeah i mean it's i tell you a part of the problem for newbie i think that in the gaming, in, under its red, in its Red Magic brand, it only makes these phones. There aren't, it experimented once where there was a Red Magic 6R, mm. which was like one step down, because all of its attention is focused on these phones. 
it doesn't seem particularly remarkable that it brings out four phones a year compared to other companies. It's because it's all on one line and then it's always like, oh, here's a successor, here's a new version. I think it's part of the problem. But then they've built their whole brand kind of identity around it being the absolute top of the line. So I'm, I'm imagining that the 6R didn't quite perform as well. So then they just thought it was kind of like an experiment. They thought, okay, we'll still stick at this kind of bleeding edge. Um, but there's, there's clearly more that they could do if they want if they want to truly challenge Asus as like the top gaming um, gaming phone maker. They could there's clearly they could they could kind of take it to the next level with the accessories or like Asus has got with the, the screen on the back. There are things it can do to kind of push it beyond just this kind of standalone because because it can be like a standalone kind of self-contained phone with the built-in fan. It's got everything mm-hmm. you need out of the box um but if it wants to be it can i wonder if they want to though because i guess they get some benefit from the you know for the people who know they are the affordable gaming phone brand where you know you're going to get the Mm -hmm. same specs as the rog but for two-thirds of the price you know and and it's that kind of feeling of well the asus rog is a bit like the alienware of the market you know it's where you're paying paying extra for the brand Mm -hmm. name and all of that and some flashy stuff like a screen on the back of the phone but if you're like if really you just get that it's all about specs red magic is is the company that's that's got you and and that's what they deliver the best specs at the best value that's where i think they went a bit wrong with the the 7 pro and the 7s pro is where as you've said it's got this odd thing where by introducing the under display camera it then has a low refresh rate and it hits this odd spot where you can't, it's kind of the best specs, but it's kind of not the best specs. And there's some specs where even the cheaper yeah. Red Magic beats it. And, and that's where I think they need to tidy that line up next year for the eights, I guess, and, and give a clearer sense that the Pro model is a step up from the regular model rather than just a different set mm-hmm. of pros and cons. I think that's it. And maybe, yeah, to just, because there's still, there's still scope for it to bump up the price a little bit more and still not be on that ROG Phone yep. 6 territory. To just have a clearer, more defined break between the two, or the kind of like interchanging specs, and maybe wait like six months between models rather than three next time. Have a have that a little would be break. nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's turn to our final topic of the day, which is Huawei. The company held a global smart office launch yesterday, which uh, was paired with a China-only Harmony OS 3.0 launch. Um, so, sort of a bit to unpack there. The global launch with basically hardware stuff. Um, we saw a new MateBook X Pro laptop. We saw a new MatePad Pro tablet. And then we saw some bits and pieces. I think there were headphones and a Wi-Fi router. But uh, Henry and, and Aaron can correct me because I actually watched it. China got basically all of that stuff, plus I think a smartwatch. And the official announcement of Harmony OS 3 as a software platform for phones, tablets, and a lot of the actual smart home bits kind of run it as well because it's their big brand inter-device operating system. Um, let's set Harmony aside for the moment. We'll circle back to it. So, yeah, what what did they announce from a global perspective? Yeah, I mean, I know this is a phones podcast, so I can bring it back to Harmony, uh, but there weren't actually any phones announced today. Uh, the P50 Pro is still the kind of quote-unquote flagship of Huawei. So, But the issue, obviously, that they have since the US trade ban and all their troubles is that they've had to continue using Android without Google services, and then, therefore, they've made the decision not to ever refer to Android. Um, it, they kind of say that they've built their own OS on Harmony OS, but 
other reporters have uh, looked into it and suggest that it is still based on Android. Um, anyway, put that to one side. What was announced today, uh, like as you said, there's a MatePad Pro, which looks quite nice. It definitely takes... I, I feel a bit bad having a go at Huawei. <laughs> but obviously, a lot of products are influenced from Samsung to uh, you know whoever else. As, uh, uh, any big company is influenced by products like the uh, iPad Pro. But Huawei really does shamelessly uh, base its products on Apple's. I mean, it's called the MatePad uh, Pro. Let's just replace one syllable. Uh, and then they have like a smart magnetic keyboard, which is very similar to Apple's smart keyboard folio. And then they even called their stylus the M Pencil. Yep. So, and it looks like the iPad, but I mean, it's a good design. They went with that. They called it the thinnest and lightest 11 inch tablet uh, on the market. Uh, when I looked into it, uh, it's the same <laughs> thickness as the 11 inch iPad Pro. And it's like less than 20 grams lighter. So then they've put thinnest and lightest together, and technically they can. I, they can I guess say pro that, probably but... it'll be 0.01 millimeters thinner or something. You know, yeah, it just scrapes like that, by. You know. <clears throat> I mean, still, um, that, is, that is thin and yeah. light for what it is, though, to, to give them credit. It is indeed. Yeah. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they're having to, they're, then they're having to put this into the market uh, and kind of encourage people to use it alongside other devices. Uh, I read that as them struggling in the West to convince people to buy an Android tablet, well, in the first place. <laughs> That's every manufacturer's uh, issue. And then also to get it to work well across platforms because it's been pushed as something for use with, uh, you know, particularly uh, professional creatives like artists. There's even a mode where they say it's great for painters to accurately reproduce colors and things like that. And the advantage that Apple has there is that obviously you can sync across iPad and particularly Mac as well uh, for clicking and dragging, you know, projects across and what have you. So this is where the Harmony stuff comes in. And this is also the frustrating thing reporting from it from the West, because I want to be able to say, oh, now Harmony OS works across, you know, my Huawei phone, tablet, but they don't call it Harmony OS when they're pitching it to Western well, consumers and media as well. Um, they didn't even say the word harmony, as far as I know, in the presentation today, unless I missed it. But Richard Yu was presenting the CEO in English. Um, and they didn't even refer to EMUI either, which is uh, in other parts uh, of Europe is what is now available as a beta for phones, which yeah. looks like Harmony OS 3. And, and that will presented be as EMUI. It'll, if you I reviewed the yeah. previous <laughs> MatePad Pro, the 12.9-inch the or whatever size it was, the larger one. But, you know, if you go into the settings on that, it's EMUI. And, you know, it calls itself EMUI. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is identical. At least oh, that version was identical to the corresponding Harmony version in China. Mm -hmm. Why they don't just carry the branding across, which is what I, I, I kind know. of bemoaned a lot of the time. It would make so much sense for them to market this as... A harmony device and kind of push that because yeah but, and harmony is a better name because yeah. particularly when you're talking about things that work together in perfect emui uh <laughs> then it makes sense it makes sense to use that branding i just think it's a better brand yeah uh so one of the things they talked about today in their office smart office event is a uh again i'm heavily assuming that this is harmony os but it's called smart sorry sorry <laughs> run it down super device for smart office and that's a very bad way of saying all these things work together. Yep. And if it it works as the um, very nicely produced video does, which often is the, isn't the case with these things. But there's some very interesting inter, uh, well, inter device, but also into platform uh, connectivity. You had this kind of hub uh, that they had up on a Windows uh, laptop, Huawei, of course, with a touchscreen, and you can click and drag different devices into this little glowing orb in the middle. Mm -hmm. 
and it connects them together and that would be like phone tablet that you had with you uh, you can click and drag windows a bit like apple's universal control uh, or its sidecar features where you could just click your window you know off your laptop screen straight onto your ipad and then you could present with the ipad to the people you're talking to you know uh, stuff that we maybe take for granted on some platforms but if while we can do it uh, then that would be great and one of the i uh, slightly niche here but i know aniron uh, reviewed i believe the mate pad paper there was one very did, yeah. short thing which caught my eye personally because i quite like eating stuff uh they were they were clicking and dragging something from a tablet or a laptop onto the matepad paper which is an e-ink tablet to annotate that mm -hmm. uh kind of pdf and then drag it back onto mm -hmm. the other one to you know send it via email or something so if that kind of stuff works it'd be cool it, unfortunately we didn't get any window uh into how it works with the phone specifically though it, i mean it, this is all sort of just the next gen of what they've been doing for a little while. And I mean, I can mm. say at least on the previous versions, it, it has worked very, very seamlessly, the stuff that's been there. Um, you know, that, that is, they've sort of stepped up the, the level and the ease and the seamlessness with which they, they integrate, which I guess is a thing that I, I can't say I've tested. But certainly before, the kind of the way you could file sharing and drag windows around has... They're very good at it. One of the other nice yeah. things they have as an interesting ecosystem perk is because they also have monitors which are very good and work yeah, in right. tandem with us as well so you don't have to have a whole desktop set up and, and you know they also do like an all-in-one an iMac-esque pc but you can just get a monitor for a lot less and be able to drag stuff from your tablet or laptop up to a, a monitor and, and kind of use that as a pretty seamless wireless setup um which yeah i've always been impressed i i remember when when apple I can't remember which launch it was in the last couple of years, but where they first did the kind of dragging stuff directly from iPads onto a Mac screen and stuff. I remember watching that and being, wow, finally, they've called up with Huawei. And it took them long yeah. enough because Huawei is this only company enough. kind of doing this stuff. And, and uh, it was almost maddening to review these products and be like, it does this amazing multitasking, but, um, you know, no one else is at all on their level on, on that, at least wasn't for a long time. Uh, except it's obviously limited by the fact you've got to have a whole Huawei ecosystem and yeah, the big mm. challenge we always say is they they can't sell you the, the heart of that ecosystem, which is the phone, and that's the the you know yeah. the killer edge I mean, that Apple and Samsung have. Because I know that we're slaves to the the incorrect assertion that you have to use Google services. You know, mm. like would it be possible? You know, if you had a Huawei uh, laptop, phone, tablet, and you were using, say, Microsoft services, would this work a bit better? Because, of course, their laptops run on Windows, and I believe you can at least get Office in the uh, Huawei app gallery, and if not, you can sideload it, like, um, yeah. or indeed use uh, their thing called Petal Search, where they uh, try and source for you using an app-style interface, the APK. But anyway, like, could you use Microsoft products for that, or do you have to live in, like, Huawei's kind of um, proprietary... I file sharing stuff. don't think you have to too much be in Huawei's proprietary apps. I imagine there are some specific features that maybe need you to be in, in a Huawei app for it to work. But I do think quite a lot of it works um, across other stuff. Um, I mean, I can say anecdotally, my, my girlfriend was using a MatePad Pro tablet for the last year or so uh, for her PhD work and, you know, managed to get all the apps she wanted to. And she wasn't so much using the multi the sort of uh, super device stuff. But you know, found it found it very easy to get on with. I think, I think using a phone without Google stuff is no matter what Huawei says and how often they say it. I still think it's an it's a no go. I I really really struggle when I review a Huawei phone, but for a tablet, I think you can absolutely make it work. Mm. And certainly for the other stuff, uh, for for a PC side of it, very easily. Yeah. 
I think the the cool thing that I'd like to look forward to as well with um, Harmony OS on the phone, maybe without going too deep into what the features are. I mean, R- Richard, you showed off uh, previously on online like um, the new design for widgets and yeah. things like that, and it stacks and things, and uh, even just sort of poking around uh, the P50 Pro recently, like. The one thing Huawei can do now that it's kind of freed of Google, even though it didn't really decide to be, is that the design language is changing quite considerably. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because often, again, it's probably our problem rather than uh, the company's. But as Western reviewers, I remember when Oppo phones first came uh, to these shores and we all kind of went, oh, the software, because, I mean, it has a Chinese kind of more Eastern aesthetic um, and skins have been changed and what have you to appeal to, you know, uh, iPhone drones like us. But at least maybe they can have a bit more license now with how the UI looks because the home screen that I've seen for the for the Harmony stuff it is quite different to what you see over here. And um, again, I think that can also feed into how Chinese services are a lot more kind of one-stop shop, how you have, you know, apps like WeChat that could have foreseeably like a widget where you could scroll through your entire like shopping payments and all this thing and it's, it looks like quite a cool thing but i just don't know unfortunately for us if that translates because our apps are so siloed i don't know but like it could be interesting to see how it evolves yeah it's as you were saying it's kind of yeah. a hard challenge with this stuff it's just not clear how much of it comes from the chinese version to the western versions and how much of it can come from the chinese yeah. version to the western version and you know the launch today in china they were talking about Harmony as a software thing for the the global launch, they just talked about the software features on the Mate Pro, but not really talking yeah. about it as here's a brand new EMUI version, here's everything it does. It was just well, here's the cool software tricks this tablet does, and you've got to infer from that. Well, I guess these are in EMUI in general, and, and this will roll yeah, out to last exactly. year's tablets and and that kind of thing. And that must be an intentional decision because we're trying to pick apart what is it? Does it work? Is this harmony? And they're probably just fed up of that. And they know <laughs> now if they, if they yeah. can say, you know, <laughs> they should say, here's a tablet. It, it does this. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. And that probably should, that's probably the correct decision actually, yeah. like, because it was easier to understand. Um, I would just, uh, hope that, uh, is it, well, let me ask you actually just finally, is it correct that you have to have a Huawei windows laptop to do those things? Cause it would be so much better and more of a selling point if you could, not yeah the because <laughs> then you don't have to buy two devices the connecting directly from the laptop to the tablet is i believe huawei only there's some specific tech they have a yeah. they have a chip that they put in the laptops that enable some of that uh, stuff yeah yeah so i don't believe any of it meaningfully works with just any old windows laptop again it's ecosystem mm. they want you to to buy them all you know and the, the the flip side of that is the laptops are really very good and the tablets are really very good so oh, of course if someone yeah. You know, we can see this is why they're, they're pitching all of this to smart office because I think what they realize is they can actually kind of nail this productivity side of stuff. So if someone did want to go and build the whole productivity setup around Huawei tech, you know, thinking about their laptop, a tablet they use for creative work on note taking, a an all-in-one PC or a monitor that they have in their home office, all of that stuff can sync together really nicely. The headphones you use on your, your conference calls, but then to listen to music when you're not on the call, all of that kind of stuff. Um that space it all works together but yeah only if you go all in on huawei the same way for the apple side it's only if you go all in on apple right a, ch- a challenge i saw specifically for i'm not well obviously we don't know how much it's going to cost oh yeah but um <laughs> no pricing or available the, the mate, great yeah for the for the matepad pro is because um i imagine that the the matebook e which was launched mm-hmm. a few months ago and i reviewed 
is going to be at a similar price point, and that runs Windows 11. So if they are pitching this as a productivity tablet with, with say, the keyboard and the stylus and things like that, for most consumers in the West anyway, it's going to be a no-brainer to go with the tablet that runs Windows, which can also do this super device stuff, as opposed to one that runs software that they're not familiar with or doesn't have all the features they have. That's a, that's a good point, actually, because in the presentation, they even went so far as to point out that you can, well, with the Huawei, <laughs> uh, oh, there's so many different, like, I'm just looking at my notes. I'm like, which specific service is this? But basically, they were showing that using App Gallery, you can now run Android apps on their Windows laptops, but using a Huawei service specifically, because Windows 11 introduced the idea that you could run Android apps. Yeah. But Huawei mm-hmm. is specifically now saying you can use App Gallery, our app store. But then they were like basically asking Windows developers yeah. to come and help them out because mm. they need the developers on the platform. And that, that is probably going to be the issue. But that's a good point. Yeah, you would just probably go, if you wanted a tablet and you had the Windows one, you're going to have fewer obstacles there. Yeah, yeah. I can only assume there's some big ground up yeah. challenges to taking, say, a tablet that runs Harmony in China and shipping it as a Windows tablet in the rest of the world. That means they can't they can't do it that way because of the kind of chip architecture changes things on a, on a software side and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and that was the that was the other thing. Like they only said that it was a flagship five nanometer Qualcomm chip in the uh, MatePad Pro. And if they're not going to say what it is, it leads me to assume. We'll ask Huawei, but you know that it's not a Gen One of any what kind. What if it's five because nanometer? Like, it won't be that. I guess yeah, exactly. would mean that eight eighty eight probably. Yeah, which would put it at the same chip that I believe the P fifty Pro had to use, and you know they also were hamstrung with not being able to uh, have that phone as a five G phone. So yep. if there are LTE versions uh, of this, they will indeed stay at LTE and won't be five G. But yeah, I'm nitpicking a little bit. It looks like a sleek product. It's just a shame that we don't know the pricing because we can't really kind of uh, assess whether or not this would be a, a sensible purchase at the moment. That's worth saying. I think the two years ago equivalent 11-inch model was pretty affordable. I remember being surprised by that one. I think it was 600-ish, something like that mm. in the UK. So, Well, if they can do that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I, I might be misremembering, but I think it was in, in that kind of territory. So if they could hit that, that again, they'd be coming in a bit cheaper than a Tab S8 and that kind of thing. And, and that would be a pretty a pretty impressive place to be in terms of the, the specs it offers. Cool. All right. Uh, I think that'll do us for this week. So thank you to everyone who's been watching and listening. And thank you to you guys. We will be back next week. We are going to have plenty to talk about because, of course, we will have had that Chinese launch of the Motorola Razr 2022 and their 200 megapixel camera in the Edge X30 Pro. Plus, we will be able to talk about the OnePlus 10T. And I don't know. I'm sure we'll we'll scrummage something up to talk about beyond that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, until then, thanks to both of you guys. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Bye for now. Cheers, bye. See ya.